Narration is really the way humans learn things. We take in information either through reading it, uh, hearing it, or seeing it, and then to really make it our own, we need to tell it back in some way, either to someone else or to ourselves or on paper. Welcome to episode two of Piety in Paideia. I am your host, John Jordan, the Logic School Principal at Corum Deo Academy's Dallas campus. This week, we are exploring the technique of narration. And to help us with that, we're joined by Robert Terry. We'll hear from him later. He was kind enough to join us on a phone call. Later on, I will also be joined by some other Logic School students from the Dallas campus as we introduce a new game called This, That, and The Other. I want to thank our sponsor, Communion Neighborhood Cooperative in Richardson, Texas. Tim and Amy's hope is that Communion will serve you with excellence, inspire you to meet new people, and give you a local place to gather with friends and family. They've done this for us at Coram Deo Academy by hosting our fall lecture series, and we're excited to partner with them more in the future. Stop by for a bite to eat, an after-work drink, or ask about joining their co-working space to experience a collaborative work environment. But for now, I hope you enjoy episode two of Piety and Paideia. First of all, Robert, how long have you been with Coram Deo? I started when the school began in 1999, so this will be my 20th uh, year. I had a little break of a few years, but uh, about 16 years total at Coram Deo Academy. Okay, and what all have you done during your time here? Let's see. I have taught everything from sixth grade math and logic up through twelfth grade apologetics and literature and Euclidean geometry, and I've been the uh, school's director of finance for several years, and now I am the director of curriculum and faculty development. So a lot of our families and faculty, and we find this to be true in other schools like ours that we work with, discovered classical education. They didn't grow up necessarily in a classical Christian school. Could you talk for a minute about your own journey from whatever it was that you were doing into classical Christian education? Yeah, my journey to uh, classical education really began after I finished my master's degree in college in accounting. Um, I kind of got interested in church history specifically and began to read and um, then I got interested in history and philosophy and theology and uh, discovered the great books of the Western, uh, Western civilization and got interested in that. And then when I got married in uh, 1999, it became really important for me to figure out how I wanted my own children to be educated. And that's when I began to discover um, that other folks were wrestling with that question too and had discovered something called classical Christian education. So that's kind of where it started. Wonderful. So one of our goals for this episode is to explore one of those ancient tools of learning that many of us have rediscovered in classical Christian education, and that is narration. So in your experience as a classroom teacher and in your current role as director of curriculum, um, as you're talking to all of us and getting us on board with narration, I thought you'd be a good person to ask, what is narration itself as a technique? Yeah, and even before we get to a technique, uh, because narration is really the way humans learn things. We take in information, either through reading it, uh, hearing it, or seeing it, and then to really make it our own, we need to tell it back in some way, either to someone else or to ourselves or on paper. 
And I mean, you may have had the experience before of reading a book and you really enjoyed the book and liked it, but somebody asked you, what was, what was in that book? What was it about? And you're kind of at a loss for words because it really hasn't become part of your, your own thinking. And narration is the, the way to move from the reading to really making it part of your own knowledge. And so that's how we then come to it as a method, which we can use regularly in teaching. Um, so we, we intentionally ask students to read a text or to listen to um, something being read or to look at something or watch something and then simply to tell it back in their own words um, and try to, in some ways, capture the essence of what they've read, um, use some of the vocabulary, maybe some of the, the style. And uh, as that builds, it builds into many other uh, benefits as well. So as you're beginning to describe this, I'm curious, what would the difference be between narration as you're describing it, or narration as it ideally exists, and something just like parroting? Um, a teacher tells you what to say, and all the teacher wants is to hear what it is that you have to say back. Yeah, so, I mean, it may, it may begin as a kind of parroting back, but that's not, not the goal. The goal is to be able to tell it back in your own words. Um, so that you really know it and can explain it to somebody else. And if you can uh, tell it back in your own words and maybe even expand upon it, then you you are fully making it your own. And it's not a you know it's not a way to test somebody or to figure out if uh, you know kind of to, to verify what they know. It's really the process of coming to know something. So as you talk about narration as a way of learning, I'm brought back to a few different times in my marriage, one in particular where I'm working on a thesis project. In my mind, I have a clear thesis statement. I spent months studying very specific things. And yet when my wife asked me when I got home from work or early in the morning, hey, what are you writing about? What is your project about? I found myself at a loss for words. Can you speak to that? Why is it sometimes easier for us to read something and think about it or read something and write about it, and yet narration itself, speaking about something out loud, is a bit more difficult? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And part of it is um, Charlotte Mason describes the process as digesting the, the materials that you're taking in. So you're, you're, you're listening very attentively first and then once you've taken it in, you're then restructuring it and putting it in your own words. And so say, the act itself of saying it out loud um, builds kind of those brain pathways that, that store our knowledge and ideas. And you can do it in writing, but it really has to be something you're doing intentionally. And you know, one of the best things that develops is just that habit of careful attention, which is the key to really all kinds of true learning is, is, is that habit of attention. Now, to be honest, Robert, this is actually one of the areas where I see the most hope for the future. Um, if we continue in the path of narration, if we focus on this as teachers and as students, I really think we may just see a generation of students and teachers returning again to thinking very carefully about the words they choose to say out loud. Is that overly optimistic, or is this something that narration actually can produce? Certainly, that's, the, that's one of the goals, right? If you, if you have practiced and honed um, this habit over many years, slowly and gradually, there will be many benefits. One, 
developing that close attention, uh, developing developing the the wor- proper words to say. Because to to take something in and then put it in your own words, you've got to do some really complex thinking. You've got to organize ideas in your mind. You've got to consider vocabulary, proper names. You've got to decide what order to put things in. You've uh, you've got to decide what's the most important things that you want to include, and that is really the act of composing in your head, and that's like a precursor to rhetoric, which would be done orally. It's a precursor to composition in writing because you need to do all those things to be able to write. The act of actually uh, making marks on a paper is a very small part of writing. Everything else is going on in your head, so the you know the level of your thinking is the most important part of writing. So narration as an oral skill naturally transitions into that composition skill later. Okay, so let's say that we are sold on narration. And, you know, if you're one of our faculty members, you have to be because you're telling us to. But let's say you're sold on this. What are the best ways then to begin implementing it, either in a classroom or especially in our context at home? And then second, if you don't mind answering two at a time, Let's say you're not involved in the world of education. You're a business owner, you work in a church, um, you're a home, but you're leading a book discussion. What are some ways that narration can influence the way you conduct your business, lead your church, uh, lead your family, lead your book group? Yeah, great questions. Um, the, the first thing is to be, <clears throat> excuse me, first thing is to be very uh, patient um, don't have too high of expectations, especially for the first-time narrators. And this is really a long game. It's it's can we develop this method and skill over a period of ten or twelve years? So so there's no rush. Um, so we want to start out with uh, kind of reasonable expectations. We want to be uh, encouraging. Uh, we want to start very small and then build up into longer passages. Another great thing to do for younger students who are doing this the first time is to provide some modeling so parents uh, can read a selection of a book and narrate and then ask the child to either narrate the same thing or the next passage. Maybe older uh, siblings can take part in the process. So when younger students see it modeled, it's very helpful. But the main thing is just to be very patient, very consistent, and very deliberate and uh, and don't make it into a test. Don't make it into anything overly academic. This is just what we do when we read and really want to learn something. Now, the question about adults who are who are coming to this, and I think it's hugely beneficial for adults who, who read and are interested in learning, um, but it's also very difficult. But the, the first thing to do would be to take a, you know, a short article, a chapter of a book, maybe even a page of a book, and read it with good attention and then see if you can tell it back out loud uh, in private. And I think you'll find that it's very, uh, actually very challenging, but uh, you will remember it for months more than you will remember uh, just kind of uh, taking it in and not, uh, not doing that process. Robert Terry is the Director of Curriculum and Faculty Development at Corum Deo Academy. Robert, thank you for joining us. All right, thanks, John. Welcome to a new game we are calling This, That, or The Other. I have three contestants. Please introduce yourself. I am Brendan Parker. I am Ella Williams. I am Laurel Walker. In this show, we are going to play a game called This, That, or The Other. I'm going to give each of you a name. You have to tell me, are they a famous theologian? 
are they a famous musician or are they a signer of the Declaration of Independence? Brendan, you're up first. John Henry Newman, famous theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence? I think he's a famous musician. Ooh, John Henry Newman is actually a theologian. Excellent. Next up, Ella, George Michael, famous theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence? Musician. You got it! Ella has one point. Congratulations. Laurel, Stephen Hopkins, famous theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence? Theologian. Ooh, he was actually a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Round two, Caesar Rodney. Brendan, this is for you. Caesar Rodney. Famous theologian. Ooh, he too was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Ella, Isidore Seville, famous theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration. Theologian. Theologian! Laurel, Calvin Cortazar Bradas, theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence. Signer of the Declaration of Independence? Ouch. No. <laughs> if I gave you his music name, Snoop Dogg, you might have recognized him. But Snoop oh. Dogg's born given name, Calvin Cortazar Bradas. <laughs> round three, final round. Are you ready? Yes. Brendan, Michael Bird. Theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration? Theologian. Theologian! He is a living New Testament scholar out of Australia. Great guy. Ella, William Williams. Theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence? Mm, Signer of the Declaration. Signer of the Declaration. Ella is three for three. Final, we had William Williams. Laurel, what about Rowan Williams? Theologian, musician, or signer of the Declaration of Independence? Musician. Ooh, he's actually a theologian. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, after whom my son is named. So, Ella Williams, you are our winner. Big round of applause. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in keeping up with this podcast as new episodes are released, we invite you to subscribe. If you'd like to know more about Corum Deo Academy, you can visit us at corumdeoacademy.org. That's C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O Academy. Narration is really the way humans learn things. We take in information either through reading it, uh, hearing it, or seeing it, and then to really make it our own, we need to tell it back in some way, either to someone else or to ourselves or on paper. Welcome to episode two of Piety in Paideia. I am your host, John Jordan, the Logic School Principal at Corum Deo Academy's Dallas campus. 
This week, we are exploring the technique of narration. And to help us with that, we're joined by Robert Terry. We'll hear from him later. He was kind enough to join us on a phone call. Later on, I will also be joined by some other Logic School students from the Dallas campus as we introduce a new game called This, That, and the Other. I want to thank our sponsor, Communion Neighborhood Cooperative in Richardson, Texas. Tim and Amy's hope is that Communion will serve you with excellence, inspire you to meet new people, and give you a local place to gather with friends and family. They've done this for us at Coram Deo Academy by hosting our fall lecture series, and we're excited to partner with them more in the future. Stop by for a bite to eat, an after-work drink, or ask about joining their co-working space to experience a collaborative work environment. But for now, I hope you enjoy episode two of Piety and Paideia. <laughs> 